This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. We're in the middle of a transformation. We're in the middle of the emergence of an entire economy based on justice and sustainability. And we've been in this world of an economy based on destruction and extraction for so long. It's very, very new, but the leading companies are moving into it rapidly. Those are the companies that will define it, that will become that economy. And the ones who want to stay in the destruction and extraction will simply go out of business. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do three things. First, we're going to speak with Andy Behar from As You Sow. This is an organization focused on holding corporations accountable to create a better tomorrow. Second, we are back with our FinTech Spotlight segment. This month, we're featuring our sponsor, Personal Capital, and we're going to be having a discussion around socially responsible investing, and if it pays well to do good. And last but not least, I'm going to share my take on socially responsible investing after speaking with these two gentlemen. All right, let's jump into today's show. For our Be The Change segment this month, we are featuring As You Sow, an organization on a mission to promote environmental and social corporate responsibility. I've invited the CEO, Andrew Behar, on the show today. We're going to discuss how consumers can best hold corporations accountable to create a better tomorrow for our families. And we'll review how As You Sow is doing the same. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So as a corporate watchdog, what are some major issues you are seeing right now? Well, the big ones right now are climate change, which is just really reaching a point of escalation across every company in the world. Really needs a a very distinct and well laid out Paris compliant transition plan. And we are in the midst of asking every company in the world to do that. And we're starting to see them actually emerge. And the other big issue is racial justice and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And those are issues that really came to the forefront after the George Floyd murder last summer. And it's something that people, a lot of people have been working on for for many, many years, but is now really front of mind. So those would be the two top issues right now. If I was a consumer and I'm looking out and I'm purchasing products, I'm engaging with these companies, how can we as consumers fight for these issues, for climate change, for racial justice, things like that? So in terms of, I don't like to use the word consumer, by the way, I use the word customer. (laughs) I like it. I just, it always seems like this frame of that's what we have been taught to be is to consume things. And I really see it much more as a customer that has loyalties to certain companies, to certain brands. And that loyalty is earned by the companies through their policies and practices. And so many companies are actually making leadership stands on these on these issues. And so one way you can tell, uh, as you so puts out a scorecard on racial justice and on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've now ranked and rated the S&P 500 companies. So if you're going to decide whether you're going to buy this bag of potato chips or that bag of potato chips or buy this sneaker or that sneaker, you can actually look 
online. It's very easy. You can just click on a company and you would see their score and you can see how they, one is, is a leader, one is a laggard. You can use that to help you make a decision. On climate change, what we're seeing now is that many, many companies are adopting net zero targets and net zero goals. We're in the process now of getting every company to sign up for, it's called Say on Climate. And as shareholders, we're filing shareholder resolutions with these companies and we're engaging them. And right now, 12 companies in the world have announced that they are part of this Say on Climate work. But we think in the next year or two, you're going to see just about every company is going to be signing up because their customers are going to be deciding on their loyalties based on if the company is taking this seriously and if the company is actually making real progress. So these have been issues for a really long time, obviously, in our history of our country and globally. What is making now the time that companies are making major moves here? I think it's because we're out of time. I think because Everyone is now aware that climate change is affecting everything, that these these massive weather events are happening that are causing just mass migration of, of people, droughts and these super storms. And it's so disruptive to all of our lives and all of our economies on a global basis that people are realizing that climate change is real. Climate change is caused by humans and that it can actually be turned back if we make some really bold decisions. If we create the clean energy future, if we make that our clean energy present, then we can actually stabilize the climate where we are and and start to rebuild, start to do regenerative work. And you're seeing this, for instance, in agriculture. So when you decide if you're going to buy a product but made by Kellogg. Well, Kellogg just agreed to stop spraying all of their food with a poison called glyphosate. It's also known as Roundup. It's a carcinogen. They were spraying all their wheat, oats, and beans with it. In fact, every food company is spraying it in the United States. Kellogg is the one company that has now agreed to remove that, to stop that in their entire supply chain. Their food is simply safer to eat. So, We expect consumers, I'm sorry, customers to start to have loyalty toward that brand. General Mills has agreed to a regenerative agriculture policy that's going that's actually cutting down on pesticides, cutting down on fertilizers, cutting down on use of fossil fuels. And their farmers who work who work for them or who supply them are actually reporting the return of birds and pollinators. So these are companies when you start to see that they're actually taking leadership roles that that earns that kind of loyalty. And also for investors, they, they're companies that are going to just have less risk. And so they're going to be getting the dollars from, from investors. The major goal here, obviously, is to hold these corporations accountable, to have a better tomorrow for customers as we look at these options of whether we're going to buy their product or invest in the companies. Could we look at the S&P 500, I guess, on your website and then decide of those companies which are the best to invest in? And then based on that, should we be looking at things like ESG funds instead of just buying a typical S&P 500 index fund? Well, The thing about a fund is that very few people know what's actually inside a fund. A fund is a basket of stocks. We also have a tool on our website. If you go to the asyouso.org website and you scroll down a bit to the right, there's a button called Invest Your Values. If you click on that, you will come to a platform that allows you to put in the name of any fund. You could type in a Vanguard fund, a BlackRock fund, or a ticker 
however you want to do it. And it will show you exactly what's inside of it. So a typical fund that you might have in your 401k plan, in your retirement plan, it probably is holding fossil fuel companies, coal-fired utilities, cluster munitions and landmines, private prisons, and companies that are deforesting, that are burning down the Indonesian and Amazon rainforest. So if you're good with that, of, of having your retirement plan based on companies that are doing that kind of thing, then you probably that's probably what you have. That's what we're finding. We're actually analyzing the offerings within the 401k plans of every company right now and comparing it to their sustainability goals. If you want to do something different, if you if you want to actually profit off of companies that are doing that are having less risk and that are doing less destructive activities, then you should probably look at some of the funds that are environmentally, socially, ESG, environmental, social, or governance mission and an intention. So yeah, there's a lot of choices out there. And we identify on this site, all of the funds that are, they get an A, you get, we have letter grades, they get an A for fossil fuels, they get an A for deforestation, private prisons, et cetera, or many of them get an F. So it's really up to you. Now, many company plans don't offer any funds that are fossil-free, deforestation-free. And so it's up to you to talk to your advisor, to talk to your uh, your plan, your administrator, your, your plan administrator, and say, can you add a few funds that I can invest in that 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 are actually about a future that I want to live in? Yeah, I think a lot of people get behind that. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about your organization. When did you guys come together and talk about some positive results that you guys have had as of late? Sure. So as you saw, it was founded in 1992. We're a 501c3, a nonprofit. And our goal, our mission from the very start has been corporate accountability. And we've done that through many different ways. We started out by doing a lot of litigation, companies that had carcinogens and reproductive toxicants in their products. We would sue them to get them to reformulate. And we continue to do that to this day. We also added in a layer of shareholder advocacy. So we represent shareholders. We talk to companies. And so last year, we talked to 131 companies on issues including climate change, hydraulic fracturing, pesticides I've mentioned, slavery and supply chain, racial justice, a range of issues. We talked to the companies. If they say, you know what, this is a good idea, because we present it as here's a risk and here's a solution. If they say that's a good idea, let's go do it, we say, great. If they don't, then we do we file what's called a shareholder resolution. So of those 131 76 of them we escalated by filing a resolution, which is an, an official sanctioned SEC filing that means that this resolution, it's a 500-word document, will be voted on by all shareholders at the annual meeting. So of those 76, many of them went to a vote. We got four majority votes, and most of the companies then agreed with what we were doing, and we then move into the next cycle of, of actual transformation. And then we become more of a watchdog where the company says, yes, we're going to reach these targets by this date. And then we check in with them for many, many years. So that's what the company does. So an example would be, we talked to Unilever about ocean plastics, and they agreed to stop using 100,000 tons every year. We talked with Yum Brands about styrofoam, as well as Starbucks and McDonald's. So this year, three billion styrofoam cups will not be produced because all three of those companies agreed to stop using styrofoam. 
antibiotics in poultry. We talked to McDonald's, Burger King, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They all signed a pledge that they would stop having poultry for their McNuggets and things being raised with antibiotics, which meant that Tyson, Purdue, and Sanderson Farms, who are the suppliers, now had to change their business model to have to, to raise chickens in a very different way without antibiotics. So I, mean, I could keep going. There's literally dozens and dozens of, of these kind of issues that we that we raise every year and companies realize that it's actually in their benefit. It's for their own self-interest, because when they adopt these kind of policies, they win the loyalty of customers. They also investors look at them and say, oh, they're reducing risk. That's a company I want to invest in. And so what they find is that if they if they listen to what their shareholders are saying and take a long-term view, then they can actually become much better companies and their brand gets burnished rather than tarnished and they become known as a leader. So it's a mutually beneficial cycle where shareholders come and, and try to help the companies to become better companies. That's incredible. I love it. So talk about where you see you know, your company going over the next five years. What's a big goal that you are trying to fight for right now? I know we talked about climate change. Is that where a lot of your efforts are going to be over the next five years? It's really, we're, we're in a moment in time here where we're in the midst of a major transformation. Last year, every company agreed to change the purpose of a corporation. For since the 1970s, when Milton Friedman said companies can do anything so long as they make a profit, they can have slavery in their supply chain, they can externalize their costs, they can dump in the commons, you know, they can like dump their toxins in a river, whatever it is to make as much money as possible. That's now been completely overturned. And the World Economic Forum, the Business Roundtable have all adopted this idea of stakeholder capitalism. So companies take care of their employees, they take care of their communities where they operate, their supply chain, they take care of, of their customers and their shareholders. So it's a whole reframing of why corporations exist. And we're just at the very beginnings of it. And like I say, the companies have agreed to the ideas in words. And now the big work over the next three to five years is to actually make the transition into action. And so that means everything within the company. It means building a culture where people love their company and want to come to work. It, and that, would, that means gender equality. That means total transparency. That means actually having diversity, equity, inclusion from the board all the way down through every level. So this is we're in the middle of a transformation. We're in the middle of the emergence of an entire economy based on justice and sustainability. And we've been in this world of an economy based on destruction and extraction for so long that it's just, it's very, very new, but the leading companies are moving into it rapidly. And what you're gonna see is those are the companies that will define it, that will become that economy. And the ones who wanna stay in the destruction and extraction will simply go out of business. And we're gonna be seeing a lot of companies winding down because they just, can't metabolize and and actually execute on the change that they've all now committed to. Oh, I think that's beautiful. I feel the passion in your voice. And I know you've been at it for quite a while, making your organization help these corporations along. And I love the terminology used as like a life cycle, helping these companies go where they need to go. So if somebody's listening right now and they're, and they're passionate about what you're talking about with As You Sow and they maybe want to provide a donation, where should they go? As you so, A S Y O U S O W dot O R G. 
So as you sow, as it says, as in the biblical turn, as you sow, so shall ye reap. And we believe as companies sow good environmental, social and governance practices, they will reap the benefits. They will reap the benefits in their culture, in their retention of their employees. And so, yeah, as you sow.org, there's a button that says donate. We appreciate any donations. We have incredible gratitude because we run on a very slender budget. We're funded by foundations and by individuals. And we, you know, we keep the work going and keep the, you know, keep the pressure on to, to really help these companies to, to transform. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. I'm glad I could uh, provide a little bit of assistance on that tight budget as well. I get the word out there to the listeners of this show and hopefully people consider the real impact and change that we can all have when we hold corporations responsible. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. For our fintech spotlight segment this month, we are featuring our sponsor, Personal Capital 
and industry-leading wealth management company. I've invited the Director of Portfolio Implementation for Personal Capital, Brendan Earn, on the show to tell us a little bit more about the company and how its free tools are helping clients build wealth. But first, we are going to discuss socially responsible investing and if it pays well to do good. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Thank you, Andy. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So can you help us understand a little bit about what socially responsible investing actually is? The way I think about this is really in two camps. So you have one camp, which is called exclusionary or or negative screening. And this is the process of really just identifying areas of a portfolio or the market that you want to avoid that may not align with your values. So maybe that's something like tobacco, maybe that's big oil or something along those lines. So that's the first part. And that historically speaking has really been the predominant form of social responsible investing, at least for the last several decades. I mean, it still is very used very much widely today, but there's kind of a, a, another camp and this is the newer camp is what's called inclusionary screening or positive screening. And what this focuses on is an aspect called ESG. And I don't know if you've seen that in the market. You probably, if you read some of the financial news, you've probably seen that many, many times. It's a very hot area of the market right now. But essentially, this stands for environmental, social, and governance. And it's an additional layer of analysis where companies are evaluated on their management of issues within those categories to assess their corporate responsibility or their social responsibility, so to speak, and sustainability. So to hit a couple of those, like the environmental pillar, that can include things like your carbon footprint, your greenhouse gas reduction programs, renewable energy programs. The social aspect might include things like diversity of your workforce or safe working conditions. And the governance is more traditional factors that you've probably heard of, like board independence and executive compensation. So all of these factors are evaluated to see how well a company is managing them. And essentially, that way you can go in and proactively seek out companies that are better managing ESG issues. And so that's really where the industry has transitioned to today is ESG. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So who is defining all of these? I mean, is there an index that says, yes, this is ESG or yes, this is SRI? How does that get defined? Yeah, so so there's a number of basically third-party research firms that are providing kind of index scoring data on the basically the stock universe globally. You know, a couple the big ones, Sustainalytics, they're a firm that we actually use or we partner with for our social responsible investment offering. So we use their data. MSCI is another big one, so they provide scoring data. So there are a number of other people, but those are kind of the two biggest. And then you kind of use that scoring data to create your portfolio how you see fit. All right. Well, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are, I think they're nodding their heads saying, yeah, I'd like to save the planet. I love diversity. I want to be able to make sure people are feeling included. Maybe I'm not into tobacco or whatever. You know, they're all nodding their heads, but maybe they're worried about sort of losing out on their returns if they go this route. What does the data show? If people go green or take care of, you know, their fellow man, are are they losing out? It's a great question. It is actually the single most common concern that we see out of any prospect that comes our way or client for that matter, that they are concerned about performance. And I'll kind of break this down into two components as well. And what I want to talk about is financial performance. And what I mean is the financial performance of the company that is actually better managing ESG issues, as well as the stock performance and how that relates into their actual performance over time for an investor. So the financial performance, and I'll start by saying ESG issues are financially material to a company's bottom line. That means they actually can have an impact on profitability. So you think about 
something like an industrial manufacturer. If they go in and they reduce their, their water and energy footprint, that lowers their input costs and flows through straight to higher earnings. So that's an easy example. Can also work in the opposite direction. If you're a poor performer, let's just say you know, you're a big oil gas and giant and there's a big carbon tax that's all of a sudden implemented by the government, you're gonna see a significant negative impact on your bottom line. But the same can be said for other categories as well in the social and well as the governance. So you know, just companies doing right by their employees are better able to you know, retain top talent. And then greater levels of diversity, particularly at the board level, have been linked to better financial performance and greater levels of innovation. And that's really the story is that studies upon studies have shown that companies better managing ESG issues tend to be more profitable and produce stronger financial results. So that's one component of it. The second component is the stock performance. And so I usually point to this study every time I'm asked about this. So Deutsche Bank and the University of Hamburg in Germany did a meta-analysis where they actually went back in time and aggregated over 2,000 studies on ESG and socially responsible investing. And so this is probably the most comprehensive study that we've seen. And the primary, one of the primary conclusions of this was that you had to suffer no negative performance detriment by investing more responsibly relative to traditional approaches, excuse me. But on top of that, there's now kind of a growing number of studies that are suggesting there might actually even be a performance benefit to investing this way. So another one that uh, you know I like to point to is one out of Harvard Business School where they took a select su- uh, set of U.S. stocks and they basically ran it over 20 years and put it into quintiles. So the top quintile is the best ESG performers, bottom quintile, the lowest ESG performers. And what they found was that the top performers actually you know outperformed on an annual basis versus the benchmark by about 6%. So there was a material performance benefit to top ESG rated companies. But again, this is just a single study, has to be taken with a grain of salt. There's nothing to say that this is always going to be the case moving forward. But there is a growing body of research suggesting that there might be a performance benefit. Got it. Got it. Well, so generally, what has the adoption rate been for investors? Is this something that people are flocking to? It very much is. So I will say it it started and gained the most traction in Europe. So Europe's a lot further along with this than the United States. But where it came to the United States and where it's been just kind of spreading like wildfires in the institutional world. So these are the large pension funds looking for more ESG offerings. And so there it's growing very, very rapidly. And what we started to see is it filtering down into kind of just the everyday retail investor. So we're seeing a lot of demand there as well. So the U.S. SIF, which is just a sustainable investment forum in the United States, does a trend analysis every couple of years where they actually try to pinpoint how much is being managed in social responsible or sustainable strategies. And what they saw was over the last two years, it increased to about 17 trillion in 2020, which is about a 42% increase in the previous two years that has some form of sustainable mandate when being managed. So, you know, that's a very, very large number. That's about one in three of professionally managed U.S. dollars. So big number. And then, you know, just personal capital as well. We've seen a recent uptick in demand for, for our ESG and social responsible offering in 2020 going into the year. We were about one in five clients that would approach us and choose our social responsible offering. By December, that's now averaged about one in three. So, so we've definitely increased quite significantly there as well. Wow. Well, let's talk a little bit about how personal capital helps clients with SRI. How does that process work? How do you work with clients? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's an investment alternative or, or, or choice they have when they come on as a personal capital client where they can go with our more traditional offering or they can go with our social responsible offering. So the social responsible offering is definitely built a bit different. So we use what's called, well, an exclusionary and inclusionary approach. So we exclude certain categories from the portfolio. We don't invest in individual U.S. energy stocks just because of their predominance in fossil fuels and, and oil and gas. We exclude other categories, again, like tobacco. But we do take that inclusive, proactive approach of selecting companies that are better managing ESG issues. So as a whole, the individual U.S. stocks we select within that portfolio rank around the 90th percentile on ESG metrics, which is really high. So it's a best-in-class approach. And just to give you a few other data points on things like for carbon intensity, we score about 100% better than the broader stock market. Diversity programs, same, about 100% better. We try to, we never buy a company or invest in a company that doesn't have at least one woman on the board. And we have about 30 little more than a third women on boards than the broader U.S. stock market. So that's a rough idea as like some of the sustainability metrics of the portfolio. But, you know, one of the other things that we do that I think helps our clients is we use individual stocks for the U.S. equity component, for the large majority of the U.S. equity component. And what that allows is customization, because at the end of the day, social responsible investing, can't, it's value based and someone has their own values and they may not align exactly with this holistic approach that we've created. So that provides them the opportunity to say, well, I actually don't want to be in this area of the market and they can make those choices if they want to. It also allows for better tax management. But again, that's something that you can't get when you just go out there and buy an off the shelf mutual fund or, or ETF. Got it. Yeah, that's sort of the difference between the active investing versus sort of the passive investing. And if you work with a partner like you all, that's where you get the active help. Is that right? Yeah. So we're not an active manager. We're not going out there trying to you know, pick stocks that we think are going to outperform the market. There's a lot of research that shows that over time, that's just an unsustainable strategy. And so we're definitely passive, but we have a unique approach to how we you know, do passive management. And so it's just a more evenly weighted portfolio, kind of enhanced diversification across sectors, sizes, and styles. So we definitely do passive management, but but just in a little bit more unique way. Got it. Thanks for clarifying. I appreciate that. So, you know, a big part of, you know, some of my folly in the past with investing, and I've, I've been very clear on the show, is just a lack of understanding of how advisors or firms like you guys get paid. So tell us, how does personal capital get paid? What are the fee structure if somebody were to work with you? Yeah, so we're a registered investment advisor, and so we get paid an annual fee based on the assets of man that you have managed with us. So it starts at about 0.89% of your total assets, and then that starts to go down as your portfolio value increases. So if you invest more with us, obviously it gets a little bit cheaper. And so, and again, that, that encompasses everything. So that's not just the investment management, that includes all trading costs, and that includes all financial planning needs as well, because everybody who joins does have access to dedicated financial advisors at our companies. So it's a holistic and kind a of digital first approach to, to wealth management. As you know, we're, we're very technology focused, but we do believe in that, that human touch. So that's why we have our advisors. Are things like front load fees, are those also something that might hit the client as well? Or how does that work? No, no, we, we don't invest in any mutual funds, in particular active mutual funds that tend to have those, those front-loaded fees. And so we use a combination of stocks and low-cost ETFs. And so there is an annual percentage fee that you pay for these low-cost ETFs, but, but it's, you know, it's very, very small relative to some of the other funds that are out there in the market. Got it, got it. Well, so let's say somebody's listening and they're maybe you know, with a broker like Fidelity or Schwab or Vanguard or somebody like that. If they wanted to work with personal capital, how does the process work? Do they have to you know, remove their funds there? How does that work? 
Yeah, you just go to our website and you can get started right then and there. You can sign up and you can start creating your accounts at Personal Capital and then you can just automatically start transferring your assets from whatever institution you're at to Personal Capital. And so you can also work with one of our you know operations specialists that, that can help you with this transfer process. But the idea is that you don't have to, if you have an old broker or an old advisor or something, you don't have to actually you know make that hard, difficult call. Yeah, that could be difficult, especially if they are Uncle John or, you know, Aunt Rita. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm a big fan of with personal capital is the free tools that you guys have. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Absolutely. So this is our financial dashboard. And if you've used those the financial dashboard, you, you have an idea as to what, what's involved. This is just an award-winning, just a really great place to go and see all your finances in one place. Anybody can sign up. It's free. You link your financial accounts. So if you have a 401k at this institution, you have an IRA or taxable account over here, you aggregate it all together, and then you can view your finances holistically all in one place. You can run analytics. You can start planning for retirement by inputting goals. So you really have a great way to see exactly where you are and where you need to be in order to reach your goals. And again, all that's free to to any user that wants to sign up. That's great. Yeah. And I've been enjoying them and full transparency. If somebody wanted to use these free tools, but maybe not use you guys for wealth management services, is that okay? Absolutely. That is absolutely okay. There are a lot of people that do that. Again, this is just free to everyone, but if they need the help and they want the help for professional management, that's what we're here for. Awesome. And I understand that there's a potential consultation if somebody's interested as well before working with you guys. How does that process work? Yeah. So our, our minimum for account size is a hundred thousand. And so you've, if you have that amount and you want to schedule a free consultation, you can do so. And that'll give you the opportunity to talk with an advisor. They can look at your financial life, see kind of what's going on, and then also come up with what we would propose doing for you, just to give you an idea of the kind of value that, that we could provide. And if we could answer any questions that, that they couldn't on their own. Excellent. Well, Brendan, this has been a great conversation, both about personal capital as well as socially responsible investing. If people want to learn more about personal capital, consider you know working with you guys or just learn more about socially responsible investing, where should they go? Personalcapital.com. That is the best place to start. Excellent, everybody. I've had the opportunity to work with Personal Capital as a sponsor of the show, but also as a paid contributing writer. And I really enjoy our partnership. And I've also really enjoyed these free tools over the years. They've really helped me to keep track of my net worth, work on my asset allocation that I have within my investment portfolio. And one of my favorite tools is looking at the fees that are associated with some of my investments and seeing which ways I can save money. And Personal Capital is helping me to do that. So, Brent, and thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yep, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Andy. Two perspectives on a very big conversation. Something I'm very interested in being more involved with, honestly. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversations with Andy Behar and Brendan Earn. Number one, our dollars have power. Every single time we make a purchase, my friends, we are not only consuming a product or service, but we're investing in the mission of that company. So if we don't necessarily agree with the mission of that company, or they aren't holding up their end of the environmental and social bargain, our purchases can go against our values. When we think of our purchases and our investments in this fashion... It kind of makes you think, right? Do I want to invest my money with this company? Hmm. Number two, socially responsible investing can pay well. Depending on what you're investing in, 
you don't have to lose out when it comes to socially responsible investing. A couple of years ago, I was compelled to start investing in what was back then known as ethical investing. Now it's socially responsible investing or ESG, SRI. I'm not sure which one will stick, but we'll find out sooner or later. (laughs) Anyway, I was comparing the growth of the Vanguard Social Index Fund that I chose, which is VFTAX, to that of the S&P 500 to see how it compared. And last year, the results, to my surprise, the SRI choice slightly outperformed the market average. Now, the major difference in these two funds are that the social index fund that I chose does not include companies that produce alcohol, tobacco, non-military weapons, or provide gambling services, oil, coal, or gas mining, and, and many, many other things. So in short... As Brendan mentioned, and as Andy alluded to, it not only can feel good to invest in socially responsible companies, but it can pay well, too. Number three, be the change. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that we're all about building wealth so we can make a better tomorrow for our families. I believe taking care of our planet And treating our neighbors with respect and equality is an excellent way to create a better tomorrow. We can do this with our voices, we can do this with our actions, and we can do it with our wallets. Personally, I know I'll be looking over my portfolio this week a bit tighter. With the positive results that I've seen from the social index funds that I've already been investing in, it appears to be both a win win for the planet and my wallet. Those are my top three takeaways, everyone. I'd love to hear from you on what yours were. Please hit me up on social media. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Andy Hill MKM. And let's keep the conversation going. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I want to encourage you to join the Marriage, Kids, and Money community newsletter. Yeah, this is a bi-weekly email that I produce where I share my latest content, upcoming meetups. Yeah, you know, like when you see humans in real life, maybe we'll be able to do that this year. That'd be great. And my favorite fintech tools and much, 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 much more. For signing up, I will share with you a free resource on how we paid off our $200,000 mortgage in 10 simple steps. If that sounds interesting to you and you want to hang out with me every couple weeks, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. Go there, sign up, and you can hang out with me via email. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) marriagekidsandmoney.com slash free gift. I look forward to helping you grow your wealth. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Stuart Udall. Plans to protect air and water, wilderness and wildlife are in fact plans to protect man. Let's point our dollars towards our values, my friends. Carpe diem. 